Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle. Thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com as well as the Sonic Cinema Podcast YouTube channel. You can also subscribe, rate, and review at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts. That is uh, the Sonic Cinema Podcast. I hope you check us out, which you likely already are if you're hearing this. You can also check us out at patreon.com backslash sonic cinema. There you will get short film blocks. I know I still owe quite a few from Renegade Film Festival, and I will be having some from the Atlanta Film Festival coming up later in the month. That is patreon.com backslash sonic cinema. So I over the past few months, uh you have no doubt seen on Sonic Cinema if you've been paying attention to us, that I've been doing Blu-ray reviews for certain uh, classic film releases from the uh, boutique label The Film Detective. It's been a lot of fun to not only get into writing about Blu-rays, which is something that I started to do when I uh, started writing about movies in the 2000s, but I kind of got out of and with the film detective, one of the things that's great about it is that it's really introducing me to some movies that I never wouldn't have would have heard of before and am able to appreciate a lot more now than I would have like when we first got into DVDs. I had a chance to talk to the founder and the president of the film detective, Phil Hopkins, who is a uh, well-renowned cinephile. And uh, we talked a little bit about the film detective, what goes into film preservation, what it means to be a film collector, and a bunch of other things. And I hope you enjoy that conversation. I'm talking today with Phil Hopkins. He is uh, one of the... <laughs> he is behind uh, one of the a streaming company, uh, Fandor, as well as The Film Detective, which if you've followed me online over the past several months, you'll notice that I've been reviewing several of their uh, releases. And uh, before, I guess the, the natural place to get started with you is when did you start to fall in love with movies? Well, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> at a very early, early age. So... Um, Film in my um, family was about home movies, right? So back years ago, I had a great uncle that used to film the family members in various events and whatnot. He had a 16 millimeter camera and a 16 millimeter projector. So I have um, fond memories of being a very young kid, maybe five, six years old, and the family would have um, movie night where we would actually project films going back to the 20s and all the way up through the uh, late 60s. And what happened in the late 60s was that the format changed for home movies, right? It went from 16 millimeter to 8 millimeter. Mm -hmm. and, and that, you know, the, the, the change of technology and the change of film formats uh, changed the way it looked. But I fell in love watching um, flickering images of my dad as a kid and my grandparents and my aunts and uncles from watching these movies projected on the back of a bedsheet 
and you know having these Saturday night gatherings with you know 12 or 13 family members looking at the old what we would call the old pictures and eventually I became the custodian to that film collection um, which were several hundred reels of 16 millimeter film and I would be the guy that wanted to project them and show them to the family. Um, but at that point, people got kind of tired of seeing them. So it was on me to be creative and find other films to screen. So back way back in the uh, you know, mid, early 70s, you could actually get these truncated films and catalogs like the um, Big Reel and um, Blackhawk Films had a catalog. You could actually order these truncated films. So I became kind of uh, an obsessed little kid for acquiring films to show to my family members. And then I would slip in the home movies afterwards, much to their chagrin. <laughs> Were there any films in particular that kind of uh, sparked your imagination? Or was it just the idea of watching films in general and getting, and getting to learning to appreciate uh, these films? Yes. Um, well, back in the day when before you had cable TV and before the advent of, you know, the home video market, a lot of um, cinema, early cinema was shown on the local public um, broadcast affiliates, right? So in Boston, we had um, WGBH, and that was the public um, broadcast affiliate that would show a lot of old movies. So I, I started, you know, really loving old black and white films because of my family's film collection, but also because of uh, PBS. And then regionally, we had a show called um, The Great Entertainment. And that was a Boston um, television station that would show the, the late show. And then you had the late, late show. We'd have some of the old um, B movies with Lugosi and Boris Karloff. And, and so as a kid, you know, I would be up all night with my black and white television set with the rabbit ears um, <laughs> and, then, and then waking up exhausted every morning because I'd be up till two o'clock in the morning watching this stuff. Mm -hmm. What were, what are some of the, you, you already touched on it a little bit, what are some of the memories, what, what were some of your favorite discoveries when it came to, once you started to expand your, uh, once you started to expand your collection, once you started to search out more films as as you grew older, what were what were some of those discoveries that you uh, cherished the most? Yeah, there's so many. You got to keep in mind. So when when I got into film collecting um, as a kid, there was a long stretch where um, I didn't do that right for a very long time, and then. Probably in my late 20s, early 30s, when I was approached, um, there was a fellow that had reached out to me, and he wanted to get into DVD. He knew, he knew a film collector that had several hundred 16-millimeter films, and we, we started a home video company back in the late 90s um, that would release a lot of public domain movies on DVD. And that was, to me, kind of always finding collectors and finding places that had film elements um, to improve kind of what we had before. Because when I was younger, we used to go to some of these um, festivals like Chiller and things like that. And they had 
VHS, but you would be able to find things that, you know, were just unavailable at that time. Mm -hmm. And even getting a low resolution VHS of some of the Lugosi monogram films, yeah, you'd spend 20 or $25 just because they were hard to get. They weren't, you know, like really readily available. And if you think about, you know, kind of for me, reading Famous Monsters of Filmland and being kind of like a, a classic movie monster fan, um, I had read about so many films that Lugosi did that that weren't, you know, kind of Dracula or the, um, you know, the ones that were shown on television often. Uh, but the monogram films like um, Bela Lugosi's um, Invisible Ghost or the um, Devil Bat, um, getting copies of those was a challenge um, early on. So you'd get VHS collectors um, that would sell them at these different shows. And then when, when DVD came out, the challenge was, you know, how do we actually obtain film prints to improve them? And eventually, how do we get them onto um, a format that you can actually, you know, then sell them and you, you won't be paying a small fortune for, you know, a 16 millimeter version of a film, you know, you can actually get something halfway decent for, you know, like $15 or something like that. So that really was kind of the bridge, I guess, was being a film collector and then figuring out, you know, how we would actually start finding film prints to release in the very nascent side of the, the DVD market over 20 years ago. What is, and you started to touch on something that I was going to ask here, um, what is something about film preservation and film archiving that maybe something that general audiences and even some cinephiles may not necessarily be aware of just how arduous that process is? It's an obsession. So if you ever see those you know, TV shows about the hoarders and the lunatics that just acquire things, Sometimes there's no rhyme or reason. So an archive has a very succinct, specific goal, which is, you know, the preservation of historic um, artifacts. A collector doesn't necessarily have that same proposition. They're just collecting stuff because they like it, and they amass many, many things. So when, when I started meeting film collectors um, as a young guy, I was astonished at how much stuff was in private collections that wasn't at the Library of Congress or the Academy of Motion Pictures, or more importantly, you know, what the studios actually didn't have access to that they had just sort of, you know, either not taken care of or the films as they were originally stored were stored improperly. And in some cases, you know, with nitrate, so much of early cinema was just, you know, combustible and went up in flames. So, you know, kind of the, the whole idea of tracking down um, elements and, and where they were. That's sort of, you know, where we got the impetus to start the, the film detective was sort of my years of tracking down film elements and working with collectors. And collectors too don't always play nice with other collectors. It's a weird, it's a weird, you know, group of individuals that were hyper kind of um, paranoid of each other and they get very precious about it. And, and you get these sort of little clicky groups within genre film and different um, types of um, film categories that have their own kind of niche um, experts within them. Um, when you set out to, <clears throat> what, when you set out to um, find a film, is it just 
a matter, is it, is it something that you've been thinking about this film so much over the years that you just decide that you start to try to track it down? Or is it, is it just a uh, process of <clears throat> going down lists of movies that, you know, you've, you've maybe kept up with that haven't necessarily had uh, distribution over the years or, you know, recent releases over the years that you might be, that you're interested in releasing yourself? Yes. So there's the fan side of what I do where I just selfishly want to see these films presented in a better um, quality than they were previously. So that's, you know, there's sort of that side of it. And then there's the side which is a little more complicated where you know, kind of the rights issues and then who's sitting on what material, where it is, and then whether or not we would even be able to get access to certain things. So it's really, is twofold. It's me wanting to see things out there, you know, while there's still an audience, right? Um, but also, how do, we, how do we gain access? And then the relationship we have with the rights owner or the films, um, you know, sort of where they're stored, being able to um, be allowed access. So there's the private collectors and then there's the institutional where the Library of Congress has, you know, such a vast collection, the Academy of Motion Pictures, um, UCLA Film and Television Archive, the Eastman House, the British Film Institute, and then the studios. So you have that side of it. Then you have the collectors who many are getting very old. And in some cases, some of my colleagues, you know, who I was working with, 15, 20 years ago, have passed away. Um, and thankfully, you know, we've been able to be the recipients of their collections and maintain them and manage them and, and work with, you know, the different labs that we transfer the, the films and then ultimately get them released. So um, it, it's all that stuff, you know, every day that we deal with. And then there's also kind of where, let's say Turner Classic Movies is looking for a film. Um, where we would be kind of um, engaged with them to find material uh, and then work with the institutions to be allowed access to the film to restore it. We just did that recently um, with Turner for um, an anime Wong film that was preserved by UCLA um, called The Toll of the Sea, which is a very early uh, anime Wong film that's airing um, next month. So it's our collection, it's other collectors, it's the institutional side of it, and then you know what we're going to actually try to release on Blu-ray or put out onto um, Turner Classic Movies or even sub-license to another company that's trying to release something. Um, so there's a network, it's a small network um, of individuals who are fellow archivists and uh, collectors and fans, you know, people who actually appreciate the types of releases we're putting out, which which tend to be lesser known films and lesser appreciated, um, that we try to give um, historical context to by building new featurettes so we can make them more kind of um, interesting. I guess, you know, like, that's the big thing for us is really when we do put something out, who's still alive that might have been working on the film? Um, we've got a film called The Brain from Planet Eros coming out in June. And we're very fortunate um, through our um, relationship with David Schechter, who um, introduced us to Joyce Meadows, 
to have her participate in that release. So it's not often we get a cast member who's still alive from a film from 65 years ago, but in the case of uh, Joyce Meadows, she was very much alive and very healthy. So we've um, recently finished a feature production that she's involved with. So that's great, you know, because it's, it's one thing to have kind of, you know, your historical essay for the commentary, but to get a cast member, that's, that's mm -hmm. a huge score for us. Oh, yeah, absolutely. When, when you decide that you're going to, you want to release something on Blu-ray or DVD in the case of uh, The Film Detective, how long, how long in advance of, is it a matter of you sort of set the schedule of when you want to try to release them? Or is it a matter of when, when all, all the uh, plants align in terms of having the materials, having, having uh, people interested in helping you bring this context to the, film is it is it basically when what comes first in terms of the restoration process and the release of a uh, of some of the releases on the film detective well it's um really comes down to the first thing that we identify is what do we have you know what's the material and what's the condition because some of the films are in um less than perfect condition even though we might have really good elements to some films some of our films have um, not aged well so there's sort of a judgment call and then there's the scarcity of kind of what other material might be out there and then the likelihood that we would get access to it mm -hmm. so it starts with us sort of going through the collection and saying you know okay we're sitting on let's say a 35 millimeter release print of a film um, versus maybe a camera negative or an interpositive, or, you know, we don't have anything except for a 16 millimeter um, reduction print. And we don't think that we would ever get anything better than that. And then it's really just a judgment call. Um, once we make that decision, we then send the film to our lab, one of, you know, three or four labs that we work with, and that's when we make a high resolution, you know, 2K or 4K film scan. And when that comes back from the lab, we then start realizing, you know, how much additional restoration work and how long it's going to take to complete that. And that could range from a month to six months, depending on the, the level of restoration um, for the picture. And then ultimately, you know, for the sound design and for the audio. Um, and then once that's done, um, we start looking at um, what would we want to include to supplement this? You know, who would be a good um, person to do an audio commentary? Who would be a good person to interview for a featurette? And that's where we're really fortunate uh, the past couple of years with working with um, Daniel Griffith uh, and his Bollywood Productions company. Um, he's just great. He's great at sourcing a lot of this stuff and the features he's been working on for us have been awesome. Um, so we're very lucky to have, you know, kind of a, a small group of individuals that help um, with production, you know, people like Tom Weaver and um, Daniel Griffith and uh, other people that we've um, worked with. Uh, they're, they're really into finding 
as many scarce sort of um, anecdotal stories to include. And then we have kind of the challenge of sourcing either lobby cards or um, some photographs and then putting together something that's interesting and contextualizing the film and making it a little more interesting than just sort of putting it on the Blu-ray. What we learned with Blu-ray was, you know, we didn't think that the home video market would go on forever. But the collectors, when we started doing our special editions, we learned a lot. We learned that the, you know, the mainstream home video market is very different than the collectors. And collectors still want all the extras. They want the liner notes. They want um, as many bells and whistles as you can put on a disc. So that takes a long time. Um, it doesn't happen, you know, like down and dirty and, and as quick as uh, people would expect it to. Sometimes a release can take three to six months to actually get completed from soup to nuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, is, what is the big, because in addition to the uh, DVD uh, label, the film detective, it's also a streaming channel. Uh, what, is the, what is the big difference for people who may not necessarily be aware between licensing a movie for physical release versus streaming? So streaming rights are very different because you're ultimately streaming the media over the net. Um, And in some cases, like with our linear channel, we actually have it as a live channel on several platforms. We can watch it like a live TV network. So the app that we have has... um, one experience where the, the live channel um, is truly programmed like a, a linear TV network. And the process is those rights have to be um, granted if we don't own the film or if the film doesn't have any copyright issues. And then it's a matter of you know getting the owner to agree to give us streaming rights and ultimately allow us to put the film on the platform. Uh, what does what does the uh, what does the uh, streaming service of the film detective have coming up? I know you guys didn't you guys just debut an original series? We just debuted an original series called Classic Films for Kids, and that's hosted by our friend author Jennifer Churchill, um, who is the author of the book Movies Are Magic. Um, so it's a series where she talks about films that would be maybe appreciated, but not necessarily um, have to be shown just to children. It can be shown to big kids like us too, but it's really a way to educate an audience about the history of cinema and fun anecdotal stories about the production and the film and film in general as a medium. Um, Cause so, often the younger generation doesn't appreciate kind of where all this sort of, you know, led to with, with digital and TikTok and YouTube and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get into that in the series, but it's done in a very um, non-academic way. It's sort of, um, it's fun for all ages, um, but that will be a reoccurring uh, series. Um, and it's on our network on Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And then it will also be on our app as well. You you've already mentioned uh, you you've already uh, mentioned one release that you have in your 
June releases, what else can we expect from the film detective coming up? Well, we have a lot of um, releases that we have planned outside of the brain from Planet Eris. Um, we are working on uh, a new one right now uh, that is not 100% ready, um, but we are working on an early collection of um, Tarzan. And mm -hmm. if, um, of course, everyone remembers, um, you know, Johnny Weissmiller, you know, who was probably one of the most famous uh, Tarzans on the screen. Um, but The Adventures of Tarzan um, is a serial, and uh, we're going to be putting that onto Blu-ray, um, and we're also going to be including some very early um, versions of the 1921 Adventures of Tarzan as a um, truncated feature, um, starring Elmo Lincoln. Now, um, he's definitely uh, a lesser-known Tarzan, but... Um, we're, we're happy to actually have Sam Sherman, who supplied us the material to the film. And he's also going to be doing some audio commentary um, to educate people about the history of that particular film. And also just in, in general, kind of the Tarzan films that came from that era. Um, so we'll be putting that out in sometime, I think, in either August or September, depending on um, how quickly we get the final restoration done. Okay. And then um, later in the year, we're working on, we haven't announced this, um, so um, this might be um, kind of, um, you're hearing it first, but we're putting out the Vincent Price film, uh, The Bat, as a re-release. We had put it out previously, um, but we're, we're doing kind of a deluxe edition, and um, that's coming out this fall, um, and we're really excited about that. That's the 1959 um, film the bat that has uh, vincent price and uh that will be done in, in a sort of a same presentation where we include a lot of bonus features it has agnes moorhead in it as well and um if you haven't seen it already uh it, it's a it's a fun sort of like crime mystery whodunit film okay excellent yeah the the towers and release sounds really exciting i know when i dug into the uh Sherlock Holmes release you guys did over the holidays, one of the things I loved about that, because, I mean, everybody's familiar with, obviously, Basil Rathbone, with Robert Downey Jr., some of the more recent ones, but to be able to see silent versions of this, the, the character and just different versions of the character that we weren't necessarily used to all within one space of that entire box that was really kind of exciting for me to dig into it really made me um interested in uh digging more into the screen history of Sherlock Holmes so I I definitely and that's one of the things that I really love about uh film detective releases in general is because it's it you do provide that context for when the films were made, what they, what their, what place they have in the larger history of the genre, whether it's film noir, science fiction, or even drama and musical, and um, it's it's just really always. I know I'm always excited when a new one crosses my path because of the fact that it's just been. Not only is, has it been interesting to see some of these films that otherwise I may not have necessarily seen 
or we'll really had to dig to find, but just to learn a bit more about film history, and that's one of the things I really appreciate about uh, the releases over the past few few months as I've been getting into them. Oh, thank you. That that means a lot to me. It's um, you're right. I mean, I grew up watching the uh, Rathbone Sherlock Holmes films, and I love them. You know, when they when they aired those on television, I those were some of my favorite um, older films to watch as a kid. But again, as you find out, you know, later in life, you start kind of delving further into the history of those films and realize that there were other actors, right? So in the case of um, Arthur Watner, I had never really seen um, many of those until I started getting some of these collectors' um, prints um, from my friend Sam Sherman. And we were really um, depressed at at how uh, little we knew about the material that survived, if any. And thankfully, you know, Sam as a collector, um, he had some original 16 millimeter reduction prints and we were able to improve the quality. Well, they're not perfect as they would be if they were from the original 35 millimeter elements. They look, you know, hands down better than anything I'd ever seen previously. So um, it, it's great that you, you appreciate that because we did put a lot of work into the Sherlock Holmes Vault collection and we try to include, you know, as many early curios that we could get our hands on to show that there's um, other stuff out there that is very rare. Uh, and thankfully, um, between collectors and the Library of Congress, we were able to, you know, have a boatload of additional um, special features on that. And in some cases, I think some of the ones we included have never been released uh, previously. So thanks. Thanks for your kind words. Mm -hmm. And uh, thank you very much for your time today. It was it was really great to get to get to know you as far as the your history as a film archivist, film collector and how how you got involved with um involved with uh doing this this great service i think to film collectors in general and being able to preserve help preserve these films for older generations to discover them we hope that new generations do discover them because uh this is the whole um goal is to have younger a younger audience appreciate older cinema and have um, an affection for it because uh, that's the only way these movies stay relevant and you know it's it's one thing to have preservation but unless you have interested you know people wanting to watch them they just sit in the vault Mm -hmm. yeah indeed and uh, that's I I think that's that's the biggest shame and uh, I you know is there before we before we wrap up here is there is there something that you might uh some piece of advice for up and coming cinephiles uh that you can give with regards to um approaching older films or uh films they may not have heard for, heard about for the first time don't be afraid of black and white films. I think that um, a lot of these executives at these big companies, you know, they try to um, marginalize black and white film. 
and they make this assumption that a younger audience isn't going to have the attention span to watch an older film. And I don't think that the people that are kind of in positions of power give um, a younger audience enough credit for, you know, what they will like and what they might appreciate. So I think that, you know, don't rely on, you know, the sort of the big companies for your, um, you know, education. Go into you know the um, the world of cinema with an open mind, because all of the films that are made today have their origin as far as you know what they were influenced by from the beginning of cinema. If you look at everything from like even Star Wars, right from the beginning graphics where they have the scrolling graphics that that was done on Flash Gordon conquers the universe, right? So mm-hmm. it the more you kind of open yourself um, up to watching older films then you'll have an appreciation for kind of how we arrived to today with special effects and everything from stop motion animation how that's done and you know cgi certainly is great but um ray harryhausen did amazing stuff right without that sort of um technical wizardry that we have on a computer mm-hmm. no indeed and uh yeah i i know it's it's funny because of the fact that, i mean obviously I watch so much of uh, modern films that it's it's good to it it's good to find a uh, one of these smaller discoveries like the ones that you guys have been putting out at Film Detective and just really again it it basically boils down to seeing something that I may not have necessarily seen before. I mean, I know one of my I think one of my favorite discoveries. Uh, from Film Detective has been uh, A Life at Stake, which is another one of those films that really shows you Angela Lansbury before she was best known for murder she wrote in that same type of femme fatale uh, hard-nosed character that you saw in something like The Manchurian Candidate, which can be quite a shock. Absolutely. And again, a, a film that is actually plays really well production, um, excellent um, music score by the famous Les Baxter. So there are elements to a life at stake that make that, you know, not just a great uh, film noir movie, but just a great movie in general and an appreciation for um, her character um, in that film. Um, I think that if you're a fan of Angela Lansbury or, anyone you know that likes film noir that's a perfect example of a um, lesser known film that we did kind of you know throw the entire kitchen sink at uh, with restoration and treated it like you know it was like an a-level release because i just felt that the film itself warranted that and uh, i'm so glad that you uh, appreciate that it's it's great talking to someone that actually appreciates the effort that we've put into these releases so um thank you brian oh no problem and uh before we before we wrap up uh where can people find the film detective so the film detective as a streaming service um they can go to the filmdetective.com and um if they go to that website uh you can sign up it's 3.99 per month um, we also have our um, streaming service um, on several other 
um, places as a live channel. It's on Sling TV. It's on Plex TV um, as a streaming 24-7 program network. And then, of course, our Blu-rays um, that we put out every month, you can buy those um, at various um, e-tailers e online. Um, and, and our website links to those stores as well. So I would say, you know, thefilmdetective.com. Um, take a look. We have all sorts of announcements. We also have our podcast, um, as well as the um, Fandor um, company that is our sister company, where we do a lot of stuff with independent film. And a lot of the film detective titles do reside on Fandor as well. So um, we're, we're the alternative to the mainstream. And certainly if you love classic cinema or independent film or genre film, uh, we definitely... Um, will be appreciated by the fans of all those um, types of categories. I, I could not agree with more with that. And uh, Phil, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you very much, Brian. I appreciate your support. I'd like to thank Phil for joining me today. It's uh, great to hear a perspective on film from a collector's standpoint. And it was really great to get to know him in terms of his history with film preservation and film collecting in general. I think that's something that uh, I, I think it's, I think it was a discussion that we can certainly even, even somebody like me who uh, listen, who's been a collector can certainly appreciate uh, what goes into something like the film detective. That's going to do it for this episode of the Song Cinema podcast. I hope you check us out. Uh, again, at wherever you listen to podcasts, at patreon.com backslash sonicsima or www.sonic-sima.com. There's going to be more coming up, including some more established classics, and we're going to be discussing some more film soundtracks. And I hope you enjoy join us for that conversation. Thank you very much. <laughs>